best toys. They, yeah, they, it, you know, it took us a long time of arguing um, why we needed all this stuff to get this studio built. Uh, I'm always intimidated when I see you working the, the setup. And, and honestly, I think I've worked this setup once since the last time <laughs> you and I got together. Good job I come back. Then. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. So it just reminds me like, okay, here's how to work this mixing board. Here's how to actually record a thing. So I'm like a refresher course. Yeah. Uh, but, but do you now have a setup that is, would be considered um, bizarre to like, I guess the YouTubers and that? Would they just stare at it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like we, we get... You know, so it's it's the other studio where we do all our video stuff that right. I think people look at and go like, what the hell? Because we want to archive everything at higher quality than we broadcast it in right. some cases because like, well, what if 10 years from now we want to put it on TV? You know, or there was some some semblance of like we need the highest quality archives of this just in case. So we back up in triplicate uh, onto three different devices and uh, we run through like basically like professional grade television style mixers and gear and stuff we've changed it up a little bit but it's it's expensive weird stuff and then so we get a lot of people that are just like i don't know i watch this guy every day on twitch and he never has these problems where this stream shot out weird or or this audio was strange i don't know what the hell is your problem like well you're right (laughs) and they're right like at the end of the day like yeah no i mean if we did away with all the archiving if we, if we didn't didn't need to like really well archive our live streams and make sure we never lost anything and all the other stuff then we could just go to twitch and hit go and, and that'd be that but it's well i greatly appreciate the fact that i can um, have my breakfast spill it on my t-shirt mm-hmm. not particularly be well um, groomed and i can still come and talk to you so i appreciate that. yeah no it's it, we can it's 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 an audio studio and a video studio I, you know? what i really want is to have some sort of like mask overlay like you have on on those cameras oh yeah and then i can just put like a character face over what i do we they or a sock puppet that might do we can't i don't think we can do that in this room but i think no no room, i like being in this that. room yeah, you, yeah. you and i can just hang out and be normal and we don't have to hold our guts in or anything Thing. Yeah, so it sort of, sort of works out quite well. So no. we're, we're here with Paul Barnett of uh, of War, uh, War Gaming. War Gaming. War yes. Gaming. Dot- we're, we're about to go to Gen Con. What? Gen, <laughs> yes. The, 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 our, our are you doing a gaming. card game or a board game? We are. We're doing War Gaming with War Gaming. Okay, that, that makes sense. Marketing earning its yeah. money right there. Uh-huh. Uh, no, we're we're off there because it turns out that um, people who who tank mm-hmm. often war game. That makes complete sense. Uh, of it's course, it's in the name, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing it the other way around. So I'm, I'm, of all the things I'm doing in my life, I'm going to Gen Con for computer games. Sure. And have you? Have you, I imagine? I mean, you know, with your time with Warhammer and some of that other stuff, like you, have you been to Gen Con before? Oh yeah, I went yeah, as a complete sure. rabid fanboy. I mean, before PAX was a thing that right. people wanted to go to, yeah. people would want to go to Gen Con, and uh, I wanted to go to Gen Con more than I wanted to go to E3 when I was little, because mm-hmm. it's like goblins and dice. What about Dragon Con? Like that was the the official like D and D one before yeah, before so, there was a Gen Con, or was it in oh, conjunction I don't, with? I don't know. I yeah. get that wrong. Wikipedia yeah. would know better than yeah. me. Um, I've been to Dragon Con twice, but Dragon Con's much more sort of a, it's a party event okay so it's all that cosplay and stuff and there's this sort of crazy hierarchy of role-playing people Mm -hmm. so there's people who play role-playing and then at the bottom there's the larpers and then, like within the LARPers, they yeah. have their own pyramid. Right. The people yeah. who who professionally once you've LARP. crossed into the LARPing domain, there's a whole different. Absolutely. There's a whole of, new yeah. new pyramid, yeah. so they can pick on people. So no, no. So we're off we're off to, to Gen Con, and then after that, I'm rolling over to Gamescom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which the last time I was at that was when it was at Leipzig, mm-hmm. and it was um, very packed, full of sweaty 
um, Germans with sausages and bread. I have never, and and Gamescom is only slightly better. But back, you know, Leipzig, I've I've never heard anyone speak a kind word about that show. Uh, of all the tours that I, I do on that, you know, the junkets and the press mm-hmm. and the rest of it, uh, the the most grindy ones I ever did were Leipzig, just from sheer um, noise, right, heat, smell, mm-hmm. lack of food. Yeah. Uh, lack of facilities, but also the um, machine-like way they bring in the interviews. You're talking oh, you know, right. eight in the morning till eight in the evening. It, <laughs> you, and you never got a gap, never got a gap. You couldn't, and even if you did, you couldn't get out of the building. It was too packed with people. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I was very happy I hadn't been. Uh, and then um, they, they called me up and they said, oh, you're going to go to uh, Gamescon and, and do, do wargaming stuff there. And of course, it's in Cologne now. Right, um, yeah, which I've heard it is somewhat nicer, but... It's still not a lot of people saying like, hey, I had a great time at Gamescom. <laughs> uh, like when they're going for like industry reasons, like when they're, when they're promoting a game or anything like that. Like, you know, it definitely seems like a lot of people going like, wow, that was one of the hardest shows I've ever worked. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, you, you can't really complain when you're, you're going <laughs> to a show to do press. But the, the, way, the way you think about it is um, when you're working on a game, uh, particularly a game you're going to launch, Gamescom's not, not a great show. Because it's high contact with actual gamers. Right. It's not, it's not like E3. It's open to the public. It's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, if you don't have anything for them to touch, then... Absolutely. Yeah. So they, w- they want to get their hands on stuff, and they want free t-shirts. Like, it is a free teacher oh, extravaganza right. madhouse. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these big stages and people screaming in German and thousands of people wanting t-shirts. And uh, it, it's great, however, if you've got a live game. Right. If your game's out and it's, it's perpetual, then that's where you're faithful can come to effectively the game altar and yeah. can talk to you. So for a company like Wargaming, it makes total sense because people who are very into tanks mm-hmm. can come and hang out and play tanks and talk to other people who play tanks because the game was there last year and the last seven years and will be there the next seven years. Right. Uh, so I didn't particularly enjoy it when I was launching a game, but I'm hopeful that I'm going to enjoy it this time. And that's been, I mean, I imagine that PAX has been similar in some yeah. ways. Well, what, like, was it was it last PAX you were blowing up ice tanks in parking lots or yeah, something? Yeah, like, crushing tanks. What, yeah, okay. Like ice statu- ice sculptures well, were getting cr- driven over by <laughs> tanks? Is that so, what, so to give you, give you some insight into how the industry works. So if you, <laughs> uh, uh, PAX is now a, a juggernaut show. Right. And actually, um, it's turned into one of those where we are providing the entertainment that they are then getting the ticket money for yeah oh and by the way they want you to pay for that mm-hmm. and so you know if you want a booth uh an impact in the hole uh, you're talking big money these days yeah i mean not e3 money but still big money and they got to you got to staff them the rest of it and so this the other problem was if you're a tanker you might not want to go to pax mm-hmm. and so there we were at pax with with lots and lots of our our staff and then you couldn't actually talk to us unless you'd bought a ticket right yeah so in a moment of clarity we rented a car park Mm-hmm. And then we brought some tanks in, real ones. Yeah, uh, which are just around Seattle. You just make a phone call. You get a tank uh, there in the morning. So it turns out a couple, a couple of people who are in like planning and logistics for the city of Seattle are also big tankers. <laughs> so getting hold of permits wasn't that difficult, uh, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, they wanted to be there when the tanks arrived, and then the guys who own the tanks. Um, they're their hobby and they're, they're, you know, right. Yeah. They're significant. Others are there going, you have this great big tank, it costs a fortune. You never do anything with it. And so when we say to them, can you bring it and use it at a show? They go, see, honey. Yeah. This see? is, this is my time and, to shine. And therefore I'm so, so, so getting the tanks wasn't, wasn't too hard. And then we were able to go to, to our tank people and, mm-hmm. and say, you don't need to get a ticket for packs. If you want one, go get one. Right. Like enjoy the show. Yeah. But if instead you just want to come down 
and hang out. And then the way we, we actually chew it up again, it, this sounds absurd, um, we have to have things for other people to do because the people who play our game, mm -hmm. it, they generally have significant others. Uh, some of them have, have their kids and want to bring them along. And right, so yeah. It means we need things like couches. Oh, sure. Food yeah. trucks. Yeah. Uh, we need things for the person who... Like you're putting on a full event. dragged along. Right. Like, oh, yeah. he's come here to talk about tanks and to... to I, I, and then I he's going to... This person's going to wander off and I talk tanks. A, like, what are we going to do yeah, over here? What are we going to do about it? Be it male or female, it doesn't matter. So of course. Yeah. We put a lot of effort into that. So then we then thought, well, we'll, we'll crush stuff. Yeah. So we got all this stuff and started Something crushing. anyone can get behind. Yeah, we could... <laughs> <laughs> As a, people would vote on what we're going to crush. And then, then the internet got mildly angry. And um, they were upset that we were crushing things that we could give to goodwill. Which okay. is so, sort of bizarre. So now what we're doing is we're trying to find things that no one can disagree with us crushing. Okay. Like yeah. nothing that's new. Nothing that, that works. Like we, yeah. if, we, if we do another drum kit, we'll get a broken, crap, terrible drum kit. Yeah. That nobody wants. And we'll, we'll probably crush that. So yeah, that's what we were doing. And. Um, you know, and the tank fans are great. So yeah, that, that's well, you. You do your panels there, though, right? Yeah, yeah. We we do we do our panel packs. It's a it's a different situation where you know I, I think we don't get deemed a commercial panel, so we we're not paying well, so paying for a panel the way that a lot of other people are. Um, and we have done offsite stuff in the past, and that's been something that's like, uh, there have been cases where like GameSpot, because we're we're loosely affiliated with them, owned by the same company or whatever. Like they will want to do an offsite event that they'll like sell to some sponsor. So it'll be oh, like okay. some video game brings you this space. And then because they're already doing all that work, we can walk in at night and go, we're going to put on a show for premium members or something like that. Yeah, piggyback. And, and piggyback on that. And, and it's fun. Uh, and, and it's the same situation where like people can get in even if they aren't going to PAX. So they just happen to live in Seattle. Uh, then they can. Well, that's nice because I, I remember when we, when we were doing them way back in the, mm -hmm. whenever it was, we used to go to the hotel rooms. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there'd just be cables all over the hotel rooms. Yeah. And he's all these people packed in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing it out of like a duffel bag. Right. Uh, yeah. So we can, you know, we can kind of put on a separate show there, but you know, they, I, I think, I don't, I don't know for sure. I, I don't talk to them that much, but like, I think GameSpot has kind of moved away from that concept. So there's nothing for us to piggyback onto anymore. So we're pretty much just there doing the PAX panel, and this year I'm actually on like four other panels this year. Like people, oh, wow. people ask, you've gone wide. Yeah. People ask like, Hey, do you want to do this thing? And I said, sure. Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. I'm there. Like, what do we, you know, and, it's a bad place to play video games if you're pressed. So yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but the same thing is that like, like we're a live game and we get people who really love our game. I mean, you're a live show. People have been, you know, you've got dedicated followers for Right, years yeah, and years yeah. and years. So the opportunity to come and meet you. Do you see the same people? Definitely, yeah. Uh, you know, because it's the same cities, right? It's 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 still right. Seattle. Like you know, there there are new people that'll come. They'll they'll decide this is the year I'm going to go to PAX, and and you know we'll, we'll kind of see people. Yeah, it's sort of like um, it's uh, it's gamer pilgrimage, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, at some point, you got to go to each of them. Yeah. Is, and, there, is there any of the shows you, you're missing on your collection? Oh, definitely. Like uh, you know, we've never been to Magfest. Uh, right. We've never been to Gamescom. Um, I have not been to TGS since 2008. Right. Okay. Um, and I, I, I want to go back to Tokyo. Well, you've done um, that. Tokyo is the one I haven't done. I'm trying yeah. to enjoy, but, but try it the other way around. Like, so if you're at home and you're listening to this stuff and you're like, you're into gaming and if you can only go to one, if you're, let's say you're, you're North American, right. You can only go to one show. 
realistically, yeah. the, the two that I think are probably in the frame right now are you would either go, I want to go to E3 or I, or I want to go to a PAX. So right. if you've never been to either and you're a gamer, what what's your recommendation if they ask you? I, th- I think PAX is smarter about the public being, I mean, E3, E3 this year was kind of a mess, right? It, well, it, yeah, it, it was, you know, because it was their first year letting the public in there, they didn't really know what they were doing. And I think they made a lot of mistakes around how they built the show that the PAX made early on and since evolved, you know, yeah. they realized like, oh, you know, just like a tank event, like, oh, we probably need food trucks. Oh, we probably need this. We probably yeah. need, you know, they're, they're thinking about more of the logistical stuff around having that many people there. Whereas E3 was like, well, let's just have the same E3, but sell a bunch of tickets. And I guess we'll put on a theater thing. Like for a couple of days, they had like some panels, yeah. uh, you know, that, that you could go watch. And so, you know, we heard from a lot of people that had to wait in line all day to play one game, you know, and, and there aren't that many games like the, the best games, the newly announced games are all behind closed doors yeah. or not playable at all. Yeah. Uh, so it, like Gamescom, if you're not a game that has a playable thing, you know, if, if E3 goes full public, that's not going to be a great show for that. Uh, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. And that's pretty much echoes the advice I give. So I give I give um, the, the same advice every time. I always say, look, if you go to E3 and you're not connected. Yeah. If you haven't got people who can open doors, if you haven't got people who can get you into press only, if you haven't got people who can make you jump a line, yeah. you, yes, you'll be in a location, right. and yes, the stuff is around you, but no, you're almost never going to get to play with it. Yeah, it'll be really hard to, to yeah. get there and see. And so, it, so th- that was exacerbated a lot this year yeah. just by putting more people on the floor that were trying to see the publicly, like the, the not publicly, but the, the more widely accessible kind yeah. of exhibits. And, and packs. I think there are long lines at PAX, but PAX is at least built for that in a way that I think that there's a lot of different stuff for anyone. Any attendee buys a badge off the street, walks in. There's a lot for them to do. I also think that PAX is is built for the the culture. Mm -hmm. Like it's built for a gamer uh, who might play board games, might play role playing games, might want to go and watch a crazy movie, might want to go and listen to a a band. It's built for that concept of human beings turning up who aren't trying to invest, trying to green light, trying to make games happen. Right. That's why it's, it's a, it's a poor event for the press. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. Like, uh, like we, you know, I, I get a lot of companies reaching out saying like, we're showing off games at PAX and, and with rare exception, I just write back and go like, I, we're not taking appointments. Like we just, it's not why yeah. we go to PAX. We go to see people. We, we go to, you know, do our panels and, and put on our shows and kind of kind of talk to the people that are there. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm, and that's been fun. Uh, I would I would like to branch out, but also like it, it's like PAX is a really easy thing to green light for us every time because it's like okay, well it's <laughs> you know it's it's a sensible. There's a lot of like yeah, you get the they're, they're bigger shows. Yeah, uh, no, I think that that's right. I, I th- my advice is go to E3 if you've got credentials and you've got connections, or you can beg. Just yeah. realize that the press conferences before E3 are where it all happens, and you need yeah. to get on that list. And, and that's the, like there were people that were buying tickets for E3 this year, thinking like, "Oh, I can't wait to see the press conferences in person." Like they just hadn't messaged it properly to oh, say God. like, "That's off site. That's not even part of E3. Yes. It's not <laughs> your whole different. You are one hundred percent not getting into." That's that's probably the number one thing I used to get tabbed for. It would be get people in right. and out of the press conference. So I think if you haven't got that, E three can be a bit disappointment. I think if you're looking to get in the industry, uh, GDC is probably a better pick. Yeah. Uh, but again, GDC very complicated, very expensive. Yeah, uh, you know I, I, they have student passes and stuff like that. Yeah. But even those aren't you know you got to try and figure out how to wangle a, a, a pass off someone. You only need to go there for a day. A lot happens in the bars and hotels mm-hmm. on the outside of it. 
Uh, that's that's kind of how dice. I, I know a lot of people yeah, that, that go to dice, dice with no pass because they know they can just hang out in the bars around dice and do all the deal making they need to do. Yeah, but again, you need the introductions. You need to know what you're going. Which is which is why my general recommendation is packs first. Yeah, get that get that one done. That seems fine. Over in um, Europe, uh, different set of rules. Uh, they have Dream Hack. Mm-hmm. Which is up well, there, there's like a Dream Hack in Atlanta now, I think, too, right? Yeah, they're, they're trying to it's, do... It's, it's, it's not real Dream, ca- Dream no. Hack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Dream Hack, so it's 19,000 people yeah. in a LAN party, and it's either always daylight mm-hmm. or it's always darkness. Right. Uh, it's right next to the big um, in, uh, internet pipe. Like, it's right oh, okay. there. Yeah. It's actually yeah. on the what's called, it's called the dark pipe. It's not even the, the standard <laughs> internet pipe. And uh, it's Scandawegian. It's mm-hmm. they drop you off and you basically hired a plank of wood and some power sockets. The rest you bring, uh, and no no one steals anything. Right, it's absolutely yeah. mind blogging. And you go in there and there's nineteen thousand people land playing. So you go there. That's that's for your deep introvert land players. Right, that. you've got you've got to, all the track mania you can handle. Everything you could possibly want. You've got Gamescom, mm-hmm. uh, which again is like um, packs on ultra steroids. Right, because it's five hundred thousand people. Mm. It's just utterly insane uh, and a bit a bit smelly. Uh, so you got that one, uh, and then you have develop. I think that happens over in Brighton. Right, yeah, super small. Mm-hmm. Um, develop's a really good show to go to if you're trying to get in the industry because it's got all the people that you want to meet, uh, but then only another hundred or so people there. Yeah, so you get really high contact yeah. with people by just bothering to go to wet and windy Britain. Weekend, mm-hmm. so a lot of the Europeans trying to get into the industry end up there. Uh, that's not bad, but but they dream of packs, sure, and and yeah. and they see E three as some sort of mystical super, a bit like me in the Tokyo Game Show, you know, right? I, yeah, I've never and, been there, but I really want to go. And it's it's and, and you know Tokyo Game Show is not what it used to be. You know, well, talking to, talking to people that have gone. Well, Tokyo is not what it used to be in a lot of ways. I think that's because <laughs> I I, I want to go. Well, in my in my specific uh, what I specifically need out of that trip <laughs> in terms of uh, a, a lot of uh, easily acquirable, low cost old video games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's where I build a Neo Geo collection. That's where you know, like I I you know, just going there. Like there was a time when there were two TGSs, and then there was like. Uh, Nintendo Space World or right. or um or there was like an arcade show or something like that. Right. So there was a time there for about three or four years where I was spending three weeks a year in Tokyo. Oh my God. And it was, you know, separate weeks, but you know, it was definitely like, and that was great because I would go for a week and scope it out the first time. We're like, okay, well, I'm going to get some stuff, but I'm going to look around and see what I'm going to get into next time. And then next time I'm going to bring in another empty briefcase or another empty suitcase and then go over there and fill it full of Optimus Prime and Neo Geo cartridges and all, you know, just like whatever I could get. And last time we went, and then I've seen pictures of some of the old haunts I used to know about and stuff, and they're just all porn shops now. <laughs> like it's you know they, they've a lot of them have, have kind of moved out of you, the. You're big in Tokyo. That's, well, I mean, I'm tall. Uh, yeah, I can. You know, you can, it's it's very easy to have conversations at TGS because they can spot you. A yeah, mile away. yeah, you can kind of tie up, talk across a room uh, to someone else. But. And, and and it is weird when you um when you move a huge distance. You uh, encounter uh, different gaming culture, yeah. different gaming concepts. Uh, that like, what age is it acceptable to, to collect at? Mm-hmm. How broad does it go? What type of games? Like that whole bit where you go into a a game shop in Tokyo, and there are sections of games, that right? Are, yeah, like guarded. 
Yeah, you can't yeah. go in that. Like bit. these ones are no, they're they're, they're, just, they're naughty. Yeah, and, and and everyone's okay with that. Or and, and then of course you, you see people reading comic books mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a completely acceptable form of, of culture. I've just had that when I went over to um, uh, work on tanks over in Europe and, and then Eastern Europe, so over in uh, Bel- uh, Belarus. Yeah. Uh, so how much time have you spent in Belarus? I, I mean, you, if you, I spend my time um, a, a lot of it. Uh, yeah, Kiev, Saint Petersburg, and Minsk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it's really good. Uh, I mean, again, it sounds terrible when I say it. I don't mean it that way. When you get into making games, and I, and I guess covering games as well, um, it changes how you, your your relationship with gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're making them, and you're trying to raise money, and you're trying to get a team, and you're trying to get it built, and trying to get it marketed, uh, it just something happens to your brain chemistry, and everything that you were doing. Prior to that, all the sort of conceptual understanding you had about, oh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Right. It's like the people who watch movies when they're talking to people who make movies. Like, sure. Like it's, it's a different yeah. sort of it's a, it's dialogue. It's an understanding of the possibilities. Yeah. Or, and, or... and it changes how you experience it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when you make a lot of movies and you watch a movie, you can't help but deconstruct, you know, where did they shoot it? What, what camera lens have they got? What panning system are they using? Yeah. And the same thing happens with games. You make games... And before you know it, you're starting to look at stuff. You start comparing stuff. And, and, you know, some things make you happy and some things make you furious. Like um, if you're working in a studio that is hell-bent that no piece of art should clip into another character. Yeah. And then you see another game that's getting rave reviews (laughs) and everything's clipping to hell and back. Right, like you lose your mind. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, why? Why do we have this rule in the first place? Or, or how are they getting it? away with it? How yeah. are they getting away right. with it? Yeah, yeah. Or, and uh, teams, uh, you know, uh, staring, uh, uh, tearing of seams and stuff like that. So, um, for me, uh, I, I, I entered a very, a very a space a lot of game makers go to, which is I started only looking at games because I was looking for information, data, concepts, gameplay, mm-hmm. and I had such a, a a big backlog of games I played. It was hard for me to find things that made me breathe and be renewed again yeah um thankfully i went through the big revolution where the internet came along and technology went backwards and pixelated graphics suddenly became good and all of a sudden you could put something out on flash you could put it out on just on a website and we got this massive explosion in uh, creativity and small teams and uh, distribution became easy and, right and it's like all got torn to pieces and then i i sort of then i go over to to tanks and i, and I meet this uh, Eastern European philosophy for how they make their games. And it, it was really uh, challenging, but also great. And I tried to sort of think about how to, how to frame the the philosophical differences. What, why is it that, well, I know Tanks is a great game and I genuinely love playing it. Why is it so impossibly um, hard to like if you're a North American or European? Right. And it's because it lacks lots of the sensibilities mm-hmm. that are just culturally ingrained into the way we expect our games to behave and how we expect them to play and how we expect them to look. And that's stuff that goes right down to the launcher, the menus, you know, just like like the look and feel of stuff even, even before you get to the game, right? Yeah, the launch icon. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or how you have to download the game, mm-hmm. which just... You know, it takes almost nothing for granted about how uh, a Western audience wants to work. And so that was really, really interesting. And it, it led me to to think about, you know, the philosophy of game design, which then by default led me to think about philosophers. And um, there's a, 
it's a, it's a guy born in Algeria in the 1930s, um, um, Derrida, or Derrida, I don't know how to mm-hmm. pronounce it. I, yeah. But it's ironic because his entire philosophy based on the idea that once you've written the idea down, mm-hmm. the idea you've written down probably isn't the idea you had in your head. And once you've read my idea, the idea you think you understand from the idea I wrote down is probably different again. And yeah. It reminded me a lot about how games are made. You're sort of sitting there going, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be elephants with jetpacks and they mm-hmm. work this way. And then you build it and it doesn't. It's never quite what you. And then when you play it, it's never quite what I. And so. So, so I, uh, I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to write a fair amount of music. Yes. And I would have a lot of things I would hear in my head. There'd be like a melody in my head or a specific sound to an instrument. And I'm not great with any of the tools used to make any of this stuff. Uh, so I would sit down with this in my head and start on that, but never be able to match it. So it was like that in extreme. It was like, it was that feeling of just like, well, on top of this, not lining up with what my original idea was like, I'm incapable of rendering my original idea. So it's this this additional layer, uh, that would make it even harder to, to do it. But I I would kind of just fumble my way into something I liked and then forget about the original idea. The original idea wouldn't even matter anymore because it, it had still led to this place yeah uh, well, what that leads to is you, you know you have an idea what you think the game should be you build the game to try and, and deliver that idea then the players interact with it but then the players have a position of what they think the game is right and usually it's not the same thing at all mm-hmm. they find enjoyment in things that you didn't particularly aim at they find frustration in things you thought were beautiful they totally miss loads of the points but they create their own points that are often better now, that's fine when you just ship a game and let it go. Right. But it's a challenge on a live game because for, for you to perpetuate the game, once you're out, you're really perpetuating for what the players have decided the yeah. game is. Yeah. They haven't really perpetuated for what you think the game is. In fact, it's very dangerous if you keep perpetuating what mm-hmm. you think it is because you could be wrong. And so that became interesting. And, uh, you know, I was talking to them about it and... Uh, you know, they didn't want to talk about quite a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. They would say, well, we, we don't need to talk about that. And it reminded me of uh, Wittgenstein. Uh, everything that you can't talk about logically, you should should not talk about. <laughs> um, which is, or Homer Simpson, you know, yeah. failing is life showing you you should never try. Yeah. You know, it's got, it's got like a, le- it's got a level to it. Um, and so, you know, I, I've never been a fan of uh, you can deconstruct a game and figure out what the fun matrix is or figure out what the giggle hurts are. Right. You know, yeah. I've, I've, I've never been a, bi- a big fan of that. Um, but a game does have to create fun and it does have to, and that fun's a private thing. It's mm-hmm. like, um, that concept of pr- private reality versus scientific reality. So like you could get a coin mm-hmm. and we both know the coin is circular, but if you put it on a table and look at it from a weird angle, it can look sort of like an oval, Right. but we know it's circular, Yeah. but that's because we're living in an abstract position mm-hmm. of where we are. Whereas scientifically like perspective creates absolutely a, rea- a reality therefore how do we know it isn't yeah. oval and blah 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 and so it's been interesting um talking and and working through it and then gaining understanding for their market mm-hmm. and then them gaining understanding for our market right and and, and that could, was wasn't achievable because i was a designer it's achievable because i played the game for mm-hmm. four years straight as a player right and so I'm actually bringing the player perspective, but a, a very Western one. In my case, I'm a lone wolf, high engaged, high spender. Mm-hmm. And that's my predominant 
focal yeah, lens. Those like, are I go your traits as a tanks player. Yeah, I got asked. Like, I gave a talk recently uh, um, about game design to a bunch of uh, boys and girls who were taking a game design course, which I find baffling. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can take courses like that. It's yeah. Like, I just find it baffling, and um, it, it, we had a great time. We talked. I talked to them afterwards, and um, they seemed genuinely upset that they didn't have more people coming to talk to them about design. They were learning a lot of, you know, very rigid theory uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, coding and how you should do asset management. And it's all very good stuff. But Right. People, it's, people would, would do well to know that stuff if they yeah. intend to work on a team and, and that sort of stuff, I guess, right? And, and um, it reminded me, uh, because they were saying to me, well, how do, how do we make a good game? And I, I, I stole that, um, that Warhol quote, was it? Famous for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I said, you should aim to be fun for 15 megabytes. Just keep doing that. Fifteen <laughs> megabytes of fun. Just if you just aim there, <laughs> sure, you you might get some. Which led me to I thought about you because I was uh, noticing um, a, a madness that is was well, not madness. You you, you probably love it. Um, remakes mm-hmm. uh, are coming. Yeah, they're they're all over the place. They're all over the place. I mean, they kind of have been for years, but I feel like they're coming in a way now that absolutely uh, where you're now seeing HD remakes of games that were rendered in technically HD resolutions to begin with. Yeah, and it, well, it reminded me. I saw um, Sergeant Pepper, the the Beatles album. Yeah, got, it just, came out. Yeah, and one of the engineers who worked on it, Glenn, um, he was interviewed, and uh, he was um, very angry that it was being scrubbed and cleaned up. Yeah. And he said, it's as good as we could make it. You, sh- you, sh- you shouldn't scrub it and clean it up. That makes it not what we made it. Right. Right. Which I thought was a really particular thing. So it led me to think about the remakes that are going on. And I, I broke them down into a couple of different groups. I wasn't sure where you sat. We're going to talk about the Sonic one in a minute. Yeah. Um, so uh, people like good old games, mm-hmm. they've been doing the emulator route. Right. So it looks and plays exactly how it looked and played. That is, I, I like that a lot. I, th- I think emulation, you know, even outside of good old games, like the hobbyist emulation yep. stuff, I think is really important to preserving old games. And it's been fun over the years to watch those hobbyist developers, like mm-hmm. open source development, yep. figure out different ways to make this stuff actually work. And and they're still having breakthroughs on more yeah. modern consoles. Like I, I'm a, I've watched that space for decades. Because yeah, it went homebrew for a while, mm-hmm. and, and then you know people were just doing random acts of copyright infringement. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and then you saw them getting like you know these hobby you know developers working on open yeah. source, and you know some of them would get licensed into like yeah. the Activision anthology. When well, you want to play. Venetian blinds and pitfall. Like here you go. Like, Ooh, you know which version of pitfall? There's uh, so many. Uh, the twenty six hundred version. That's what they oh, would okay, play. Right, like, well, thank I mean, you for that. I'm yeah, about to say I'm not crazy. Cool. Oh well, and so that <laughs> so that that cuts into Glenn and the Beatles album. Mm-hmm. He's like keep it exactly the way it was. And I, I think that from a sort of historical basis and a nostalgia basis, that absolutely works. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the issues you have with those things is you give them to a, a modern sensibility gamer, yeah. and they're they're dead. They're inert. It's like going to a museum. Totally. Yeah. It should be covered in dust. We t- I think we talked to, like around some of this stuff when yeah. you're talking about like the golden age, like everyone having their yes. own golden age. That's right, yeah. It's that same concept of like, and, and I, I totally agree. Like, because I'll stream some of these old games, uh, you know, in my off time just for funsies. And, you, you know, get- some, some people are into it. And then there are some people that are like, I can't believe you're even playing. What the fuck is it? What, what is even going on in this game? It doesn't even look like Superman. 
you're trying to reform a bridge like what what even is this game like oh, it's wow, it's, be, it's become back. it's become so that had flashing yeah it, right? yeah everything it, is just yeah, flickering all the time because it's yeah. too much on screen uh so you, you know like that stuff is hard to explain to someone whose first console was you know whose first game that they fell in love with was halo Yes, or, or something, Final you know, Fantasy or Final Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like 30, yeah. It's on thirteen. 30, yeah. yeah. So that one. Then I noticed there was a um, there's a pitch for remaking. Mm-hmm. So th- uh, where people got they got a Kickstarter or crowdfund or whatever, yeah, yeah. and then they take something and they absolutely remake it. Mm-hmm. So Elite Dangerous, right? Is like a t- it doesn't look anything like Elite. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's spaceships. Yes, there's a space station. But once you get beyond that, it's. I mean, it it is one of the original creators, but it's it is its own thing. Yeah. You know, and, and and I think, to my knowledge, one of the few games that comes with an app that's your tutorial that right. you put next to it. Yeah. It's, it's more complicated than flying the space shuttle. In, incredibly complicated. And, and again, although I think that's interesting, I'm not sure who it's for. I look at that one, I, I mean, I, th- I think Elite Dangerous in particular has found an audience, mm-hmm. but I think that audience doesn't care about original Elite at all. <laughs> well, like, you know, they looked at that, you know, and I think that in some ways is probably the best you can hope for because they are taking the original as inspiration, mm-hmm. not being kind of super devoted to what the original was other than in the high concept and going like, okay, well, what if we made this as a modern game? Like, what does it even look like? Cause I think that's something you can make that will still appeal to a modern player. And if you make it good enough, I think those classic players will be willing to come along where you end up in that middle ground is where they, they remake something, but still feel tied to like, if I may remade pitfall right now, it would be, a terrible game and, and Activision has tried over the years right I mean they are always like like ah oh, this pitfall IP we can bring it back one more time here it is we've licensed it out on the NES for a terrible game we've uh, we've found uh, a way to make it into an infinite runner on iOS uh, we found you know like, like they're always unearthing like new game design concepts that other developers come up with that they can then take and map pitfall back onto and as someone who I, well, whatever. I, you know, I don't think Pitfall has aged incredibly well, right? But it's, I have a love for that game that is never realized in any of those remakes because they're either trying to stick to it in in the ways that don't matter to me uh, as someone who likes that original game. Like they're 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 remembering the wrong things. <laughs> they're or they're, or they're they're being they're being faithful in the wrong ways. Well, it's Derrida. It's that philosophy. Yeah, again. yeah, and, and or or they're going so far off course that then you're like, well. Like, you've made a completely different game and just thrown this IP on it. Like, who cares? Like, Elite is one that I feel like had been dormant long enough that to a lot of people it was just a brand new game. Yeah. Um, no, and I think that that's, that's definitely cutting into it. Um, the other one that I noticed is where they take a game and they hybrid between those two positions. Right, so, like, yeah. Position number one is they go, well, it's got to look like the original, Then, but position number two is you need to modern sensibility. So I, I picked up um, Baldur's Gate on the iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they clearly took the time to clean the art up, mm-hmm. but not so much that it looks significantly better right. than the original. Uh, and they clearly updated the input mm-hmm. so that it works with touch. So it's not, not a of mouse. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they've done other things. They took, like, all the updates that the community had been doing, mm-hmm. all the bug fixes and strange lunacy, and they put them in. And then they added new improved gameplay features. Yeah. Features that came into Baldur's Gate 2 and then and then ultimately in that style again. And they rolled that one in, which I thought was cool. Which led me to why I thought about you. I saw the, the Sonic one. Yeah. Now, um, I had a, had a strange reaction watching some video footage of it. Yeah. Um, it's, 
weird thing. Yeah, it, it was a super weird thing. Uh, and then I remembered my emotional reaction to it. Like when I played it, um, it would slow down. Right. Like the, the system would just mm-hmm. go really, really slow. Yeah. Struggling to figure it out. And the bonus games, I've mm-hmm. always had a strange relationship with the bonus games. Yeah. Like you know, Sonic 1, it was like the rotating camel tree for the, and, yeah, yeah. or the, the, the behind the back. You're like, oh, let's make a polygonal Sonic. Like, yeah. Even though we're not there yet. Like, and yeah. then there was the, then there's the one where you're, ru- you, you're running across a huge globe. Yeah. And you're getting the blue like, balls. Getting the blue balls. Yeah. yeah. Was, which which is one that they have put into this new and, and one in is, abundance, in like an alarming abundance. <laughs> that's that's what happened. I saw it and I said, "Why that one?" Yeah, of all the ones you <laughs> right. could have picked, exactly. You picked the bizarre one. And they picked that one. Not only did they pick that one, it's every single checkpoint in the game oh is another God. opportunity. If you have enough rings, like, and it's a very low number, it's another opportunity for you to waste a bunch of time on that thing again. And they have unlockables that are governed by your performance in those stages. And it's, it's the one thing I, I expected to like really not care for a new Sonic game. Because over the years, like that IP has been beaten into shit. And, like, and yeah. you go back to those old games now, I find them to be pretty bad. Well, r- run right quickly. Yeah. Uh, but then the secret is you actually need to stop and slow down. Because a lot of those old games were developed in such a way that if you just held to the right... They would put little gotcha traps in there yeah. and, and, and screw you over. So this game, I was very taken aback. It just came out this week. I, I was very alarmed and surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Because I'd gone back and played Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 and Sonic CD and some of that other stuff. and Because those were the games I liked then mm-hmm. uh, when I was, what was I? I was 14, 15, whatever. Uh, and... And I enjoyed those games at the time. And at some point, I thought that, you know, by the time they got to Sonic 3, I was like, eh, this is bad now. Whatever. Um, but I went back and played those games, like, like over the years. And I did so, like, l- earlier this week. Like, the night before the game came out, I Wait, went and played it again. I was like, man. Which was, which was the split one? That was two. That was two. Two. Yeah. Had the weird, like, there was, like, high-res mode that the yeah. Genesis shouldn't have been and able to like do. Really but, yeah. Down. Yeah. It looked like a weird Amiga output. It was just a str- <laughs> yeah, strange no. thing. Um, we are now just two old men. Well, yeah, no well, one cares yeah. now. We've lost, uh, we've yeah. lost the audience. Uh, but I, so I, I recently played old Sonic and was like, man, these games have not aged well at all. This is just, this is just bad stuff. Maybe it always was bad. I was just a dumb kid. And then this came out and, you know, Sega did the right thing. Finally, they actually went and hired fans that were making fan games and, and you know, people out of the community and said like, you clearly care about this in a way that we are incapable of doing so. Uh, you know, we've shown time and time again that we don't know what made Sonic great to begin with. You clearly have some idea about it. Here's, go help, help. Uh, and they did it. And and they made a game that is at times very evocative and referential and, and, and reverential to those original Sonic games where it makes sense, but they're not afraid to go out on their own. And so they made a thing that is simultaneously their own thing but also very devoted to classic Sonic in the way it exists in your head, not necessarily what those original games were getting back to the philosophy. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, I I haven't finished the game, so, you know, maybe it falls apart at the end. I've definitely seen people say that they, they really like where it goes as it goes on. So I'm, I'm hoping it will stay good. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems like it's one of those things where I I always looked at uh, when uh, any company would be, um, slapping an old IP onto a game, like for a reboot or something like that. You definitely have that feeling of like, who's this for? Why would they do this? Uh, You know, like it's, it's, 
I look at Syndicate when EA put out the first person shooter for mm-hmm. Syndicate, which I ended up loving that game. The 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 reboot. The I was surprised. Like just that's my Left for Dead. Uh, <laughs> that's my co op like first person shooter. Yeah, that's my go to Left for Dead style. Anyway, um, but you know people were furious, of course, because it's you know you think of original Syndicate, it's this amazing isometric game with these agents, this dark brooding tone, and then they had gone and said like, well, we got Skrillex to remix the Syndicate theme. That's what everyone wants, right? And it turns out I am the one person on the planet who was like, yeah, no, this is actually really good. <laughs> Two, Austin Walker, he, he's, he's there with so, me. But, but yeah. you, you cut on a big thing there, that, that idea of the music. Uh, one of the things I noticed in the Sonics, people were like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saving my enjoyment of the music. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How yeah. they've done the tracks, how they've remixed it. Right. And you see now um, um, you can go to a, a, a festival where a band mm-hmm. or an orchestra yeah. will, will do themes for computer games. Yeah, and there's they a, a, a touring company that is like, "Hey, we're playing Legend of Zelda music." Yeah, and, no, and that's it, it's been really good. It, it led to um, uh, I was at a um, an Eastern European Games Conference, Four mm-hmm. C, it's called. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, we were, were yabbering there with all sorts of, of interesting minds that I don't usually talk to because they're dealing with a different market, right. different sense. Yeah, and we we started talking about um, sense data, mm-hmm. game sense data, and how. Um, one of the arguments for, for is gaming art is the concept that it's robbed of senses, uh, like like a book is, mm-hmm. uh, and so this idea that um, you know with our sense data is how we build our our view of whether something what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it smells like, how it's you know all that sort of stuff. But a computer game is sort of like having food behind a plane of glass. Right. You could look at it and rotate it and get close to it. You can't actually touch it or taste it, eat it, smell it. Like mm. you're robbed of that, that sense data. Yeah. And so the game has to create emotional sense data. And it does that through how it displays the technology and how it evokes how you behave. Mm-hmm. And so your comment about pitfalls, really interesting. We're playing the Superman game. Because what you're doing there is you're replacing the sense data that's being robbed from you with mm-hmm. your imagination. Right. And, you know, you have taken on good faith that that square with that flashing pixel means yeah. that you're a dude flying in, in the sky. Right. And and we do this all the time with games. We do it when they're 2D, but they're like fake 3D mm-hmm. uh, and isometric and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's interesting because that goes on to create the private experience that you have. And what I noticed, uh, it's a bit like music, you can get an album that you're really into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then time can pass, and the necessity of that album can change. Right. And so I think it's High Fidelity, the book High Fidelity, Nick Hornby, talks about, am I miserable because I listen to miserable music? Or do I listen to miserable music and it makes me miserable? Like, you know, which, right. which yeah. version it is. And it's interesting how I can get an, a, an album out and realize I'm beyond the mental state that that album yeah. was soothing. Yeah, it, it it was an album that maybe was incredibly important to you for a time. Absolutely. And you have changed. Yeah, and your understanding of the music has changed. Yeah, the yeah. System. And, and sometimes, you know, music is incendiary and very short and it does its job. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's long players and, and, and you want to have it forever. And I think that's what, what you get with the, the Sonic remake. You're, you're getting a group of people who, some cases, are still able to remember absolutely the emotion state that they were looking for or have developed their emotion state by staying connected to it right. versus people who were revisiting it. Yeah. And so for you going back and revisiting it, the 14 year old version of you really can't sit next to you and explain why you're wrong. Right. 
because you've you've sort of mutated and 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 changed where you're going. And and also, I like to think that like the 14 year old, like if I sat that version of me down and tried to explain what was it about Sonic, a big part of it would be like, it's what we had. It's it's all we had. Yeah, (laughs) we got a Genesis. It's it's what it's what was available. It was the hot new thing. It's like how you ever met anyone in town before there were mobile phones, right? Or the fact that. Technology, modern technology, mm. is stealing our ability to remember for uh, long numbers. Right. I don't know. I don't know what you're like now, but yeah, no, I can't, I, I can't remember anyone's number now. I can remember. I the, remember old numbers. Yes, I remember the numbers I had to remember before. Yeah. Back when we had to remember numbers, my yeah, my I, parents' phone number, the business phone number, my old original three houses ago that phone number. Yeah. Like, those are the numbers I can still remember. And I can't remember numbers now. If I sit down and just try to remember a number, mm-hmm. my brain's gone, no, that's all been jettisoned. You yeah. don't need that anymore. That's all gone. Yeah. It's like, you know, up, down, left, right. No, for, no. for me, it's birthdays and stuff like that. Like, oh the, that God. stuff is, is I, I never was good with that to begin with. And so it never cemented in. Um, the only ones I've decided to really dedicate myself to are my wife's, my wife's phone number. I know yes, it. And, and her birthday. Like those are. I had to learn my social security number when I came here. Because mm. uh, that turned out to be really important. Yeah. Yeah. They, so that, that one had to be drilled in. I was head. asked for it three times this week alone. <laughs> um, I've been talking to people in the industry at uh, different levels. I get, I, been given, I, I get asked for a lot of advice now. It's quite interesting. Mm. People ring me up and go, yeah. what do you think of this idea? You've been around. Yeah. You, you're old enough now. You've survived in this yeah. crazy space long enough to have seen some shit. I'm still here and still not dead. Um, so I was talking to my, uh, my, my friends who did uh, Enter the Gungeon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are, they're still porting it. Yeah. Um, they've got a new... There must be something they can port. There's a new it. update. There's a new subtitle on it they for do, some yes. update they're, yeah, they're doing, they're, right? Which, yeah. which is good for them. I'm, I'm so pleased they got it out. But more importantly, I'm so pleased they didn't rush into doing something else. Because mm. uh, they really did, like, nearly kill themselves. And um, they're, that, they're, that first game for a small team, like, that seems like that's the... It, you end up in this bit where if you talk to them, if you talk to any of the teams that make it after the fact, they'll mm-hmm. tell you that they're, they're not sure they would go and do it if they could go back in time, right. knowing what they know. Yeah. Uh, particularly the ones who, who, who only just make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, what I told them is that you need to cut your game design uh, to your limited resources. So it's sure. odd, odd yeah. how you can watch teams as they start building games that they can afford to make. Right. Rather than games they've got in their head that was the big learning at the um talk i gave at the game design thing they showed me all their their prototypes Mm -hmm. and they're all just resource insane right yeah and it's like it's like who are you gonna get to wrap this up how how many people do you have yeah yeah. Yeah, i was shown like uh, this is our main character this is who we're gonna have and it's like fully 3d rendered it's got like a million bones in it and it's like god what's it gonna do right is it just a (laughs) vr app (laughs) <laughs> if it has to move you're dead yeah uh so that that's been quite interesting uh, and a friend of mine asked about moving to one of the big companies uh, this guy was, was ubisoft this time i've heard of them yeah uh, and i uh i said to him um well you've always wanted to be at the beginning of a game mm-hmm. and you've always wanted to work on what he perceives to be a big game yeah um, that's... which curiously doesn't necessarily mean it sold well and got high critics as you can do that with a, a low tech game. of course yeah it, it, big game in the industry is you know 400 people yeah four like, years let's be a part of some crazy team 150 million and, and, and for that publisher specifically now it means multiple years of games as a service after release <laughs> like treating it as a live game uh right up until you start development on sequel or, or concurrently or whatever it is yeah and 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 i told him i said well you should definitely go do it i said everyone should do it mm. if only to then have your tour of duty 
because uh, the, then you'll know. Well, how many people does it take to make Assassin's Creed? You don't know, man. You weren't there. It's it's <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you've got. You I see. mean, I can look at the credits and tell you <laughs> it is every single person in all of France and uh, like a, a bunch of people in Shanghai and you know, like like yeah, they're probably triple counted the French ones. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Um, and uh, I had another guy uh, with this girl, so get it right. Uh, came and asked me about a job. She'd been offered a job, but she hadn't been offered very much money. Mm. And she wanted to know if she should ask more. So I said to her, well, well do, you, do you need the money? Like, can you work from home and commute to it? Right. And she said, yeah. I said, take the job. And she was like, yeah, but like, aren't I being undervalued or underpaid? I said, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will then be in the industry. Okay, so is, it's someone who, you know, better like, than is, trying is to looking find, to get their foot yeah, in the door. Some, sometimes you have to agree to be in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you can afford it, then that's okay. If you're being, you know, exploitive and that's, you know, bankrupt, you that's clearly, a, yeah, that, clearly don't do it. Yeah. Um, but so, sometimes you have to do it. And and so that, that's that been interesting watching that develop around. But it did lead me to reflect on where we are, and um, this, which makes me quite sad. I'm a little worried. We mm. We seem to have got into a sort of stagnant state. Where are you on that? It's, I... I came out of E3 feeling strange about stuff. If you, if you think about the last few years or, or this console cycle, yeah. if you think about the launch of the PlayStation 4 and the way, and it's because they were forced to, the way that they leaned on smaller games, indie games, uh, as, as a way of, of differentiating themselves and saying, like, we've got all these games because everyone else was convinced that consoles were going to die off yep. and they, they didn't green light anything until too late. So it, we had that first year or so where it was two things. It was like this r- increasing profile for independent development yep. on console. And then also remakes and remasters because that was the stuff they could quickly get out. Oh, we're going to, we're going to port this 360 game up a generation. To, to be fair, e- e- uh, EA represented. They were all in on the new console. Yeah. Yeah. E- EA, you know, I mean, they're big enough to place those they're, bets they're, and, f- well, and figure that stuff out. Well, they right? were coming out from that terrible reputation. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but even so, they weren't putting new bets in. They just gone, no, we'll make Madden and NHL. Yeah. yeah. And their first um, rolls of the dice on those consoles were, you know, were lacking some features and the rest of it. That's how it always goes for them. But, but I agree with you. Um, back then, it looked a bit weird. I mean, people don't remember it because uh, it, it seems so long ago. But there was this big worry that, you know, uh, Facebook zingers yeah. uh, of the world were going to eat gaming, and gaming was just going to implode. It was going to be Farmville, yeah. Farmville, as far as the world. Right, and, and numbers were starting to indicate, like there was starting to be just a little bit of data around that to yeah. where you could see it and go, like, yeah. I'm not sure that people want another generation of console. Yeah, yeah, no, and then there was the explosion in the sort of Flash Unity stuff, and right. then, and Steam came along and was, was, was at that point was a disruption change agent for retail. Yeah. And so you ended up going, it's going to be small games, small teams making interesting games. But where, where, where do you put a 400-person team, 150 yeah. million game on a console that's only going to sell six units? And how do you, and all, yeah, or like how do you justify a $500 console yeah. that's going to run games that a, a similarly specced, a similarly priced PC can run easily? Yeah. So that was, it, was, it was a dark period to be in the solid part of the industry, great period to be coming into the industry because yeah. you could make an indie game. And then it all turned around. Mm-hmm. The console's entrenched and it exploded. Uh, all the mobile stuff collapsed and just became, it became its own thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, is all locked up. And then we went through a period, which I now realize was a golden period. Right. Where you, we had the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. 
we had little indie games that could change people's lives, both as a game experience and a lifestyle and, and for the people who made them. Right. We had big blockbusters that could come out and make people happy. Uh, we had new distribution systems that had ridded us of the sort of worldwide release being staggered and all that. Digital right, yeah. was born and it was looking great. And then all of a sudden, or it feels like all of a sudden, it's flipped again. Well, I think, you know, that some of that, I, I, I think that development is still happening. Like those ind- independent games are still being made. Yeah. I, I think the, the situation you run into now is that there are so many of them and the storefronts on the consoles are not built to handle that many different products. And yeah. so you have the same problem you have with Steam where you have great games being lost in the shuffle yeah. because they don't have a marketing, you know, because they, they can't find a way to connect players to their game. Well, bizarrely, Steam's ended up recreating all the things that we were yeah. dismayed about on retail. Right. Like, if you can't get profile, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, they don't seem to care about profile. They just care about volume. Mm-hmm. And they're going to take their cut regardless. And they're handing a lot of the tools for discovery and all that yeah. other stuff off to users. Yeah. And so uh, for curator systems and, and, and just they're trying to build an algorithm instead of an end cap while also still having an end cap. End cap. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah, Retail yeah. language. Right? Yeah. The young kids don't know what that That's is. right. Yeah. End cap is the thing that would go at the end of a big r- racking system in Best Buy yeah. that would draw your attention in. And, and like, POS, point of sale. Yes. Great big statues and things like that. Up by the register. Uh, big, by, yeah. Yes. That would be used to, to draw attention to where you're going. Uh, yeah, so it, it's weird. So the, the digital delivery has recreated the sins of, of retail. Mm-hmm. Um, the big monolithic safe bets have made the share price go up. Right. So that's where everyone's gone. Yeah, you know, EA's completely doubled down on I mean, safety. First. Yeah, they, they well, they they tried their chances, right? They they tried the, the they they said like okay, like they threw a bone to people and said, oh, well, I guess we'll do another Mirror's Edge. Fine, fine. You want another one? Fine. Yeah, no and then bought. they did it. No one bought it. It, it, it wasn't a great game. They probably shouldn't have bought it. Uh, and I, I, it, it's like reinforcing the mentality of like, well, okay, here you go. I guess we're going to keep trying basketball then. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. One day, one day yeah, they'll make them. Yeah, they keep, it, they're going to keep gonna shipping work. basketball oh. games. Someday it'll be functional. Uh, Amy Henning is making her Star Wars game. So I'm, I've got a They should put her on the basketball game. Then love, you might see some shit. I've got a lot of love for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably come up. But yeah, so it looks like it's got a little safer. It also looks like it's got really hard now for indie guys the win state for an indie game maker is we didn't lose any money. Right. And that's a terrible state to be in mm-hmm. because it's now totally possible for you to make a great game. And as you say, it just gets lost in the shuffle. Right. There's just no, nothing there, um, which again, can be a little, uh, a little weird. We are getting some outliers where, I mean, the switch is nuts. Right. It's yep. just genuinely nuts. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's a better product than, um, uh, what do you call it? The Wii ever was? Yeah, like I, I thought the Wii was really interesting, but I never, right. it, I never saw limited. where it was going to go. Yeah, you know, I think I, I called it a bread maker. Yeah, um, you know, people just oh, bread's great, bread's great. and then they went back to buying normal bread. Yeah, um, whereas the Switch, I think, is genuinely something super curious. Yeah, it, well, it, it's it's a system that is specced at the level of a lot of that independent development, right? Like it, it lines up well with that. Nintendo can use it really well because they're really good at wringing the power out of their own devices. Yep. So their games flourish. And also they're creating like a good fertile ground for those independent developers who still, you know, I think a lot of them, not every single one, but a lot of them still have a thrill of like, we're shipping on a Nintendo. Well, and Nintendo stuck to their standard gameplay where they went, here it is. Uh, we're going to give it you 
to the developers four months before launch, we've been working on it for 20 years. Right. Here is an amazing game. Yeah. That we've been working on forever. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, full credit to them, I'm, I'm not a huge Zelda fan. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Nintendo fan. Uh, mostly because it just sort of didn't really get to England. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think this Zelda game is very good. I think it, it yes, I, I agree. It's genuinely I, very good. There are things about it that I have a problem with. Like, like the, the more I played of it, uh, and I kind of stepped away from it, I, I didn't end up finishing it, but like, I love the openness to their design, yep. but then as a result of that, or, or the, the opposite of that is the stuff they built into that game that they very much want you to do, I think is not as good as the open crazy stuff, like all the shrines, all the other stuff. Like yeah. it's, it's a great discovery. It's a great time, but, and exploring the world is fun. But then when you're like, okay, now go do this dungeon, they all kind of have a similar gimmick with the map and yeah. you get in there and you're like, oh, this is. Well, I think that's them learning. I mean, yeah. for them to move away from you just mowing grass. Right. For them to move away from the abstract heart health system. For mm-hmm. them to give you the ability to not just go to other areas, but to allow those areas to have um, a difficulty differential. Right. You have to learn to run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that, I think, is really, really curious. And, and the art style, I think, is actually pretty pleasing. Yeah. From from where they went, so I thought that's so we got a couple of outliers, which makes me a little high, happier than we were before. But um, and it's um, it survived. It's stable. We weren't yeah. eaten alive by Farmville. Definitely, and and also like for for as much as we can talk about, yeah, like I, I agree with you to a point, but also I feel like this has been a really tremendous. There have been a lot of games that I can point to this year and go like, this is a really good year for games. Oh yeah, no, I think that's true. Uh, you know, like near and and some of the other stuff that's come out of Japan uh, has you know has so really I, stood out. And, I think that's really important. There's been a yeah. resurgence uh, from from the Japanese, yeah, and, and what they're doing and how they're looking at gaming, yeah. And if anything, Europe's in a little bit of a funk. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I agree. Yeah, we, we we haven't really come up much, but there are some stuff I have liked. Um, I, I I took some notes down before I came in, so I think the edutainment stuff's been really good. Mm. I don't know whether you've seen much of that. Not I, it, I don't think is, so. These are people who um, they have things to say, but they don't want to write dissertation documents because no one will read them. Yeah, so fair instead enough. they're they're making little mini. I, I've got an, I've got one. The one I like. I was looking at one on trust. I've still got the web. Let me take this. <clears throat> HTTP mm-hmm. colon. Okay. Forward slash, forward slash. Forward slash, okay. N, Norman, N mm-hmm. case dot me forward slash trust forward slash. Okay. And what it actually is is a piece of game theory. It's this idea of uh, if you have the prisoner dilemma, mm-hmm, right. where if we both bid for it, we're both okay. Mm-hmm. If you bid for it and I don't, you get double. Uh, and it then goes... Here is how trust is built between human beings, and it adds all these different systems in. And you sort of watch it, and you get to interact with it. I think using sort of gamification to do that, I think yeah. it's been really, really interesting. Um, mobile gaming, which is now totally locked down, like the top ten hardly ever changes, um, but that doesn't mean we're not seeing some interesting stuff there. I just picked up a um, Motorsport Manager, which yeah. is a Formula One right, yeah. remake. But what I learned was, if you want to buy it on the PC, really expensive. Like really expensive, right? That sort of price point they have thirty bucks, forty bucks. Yeah, you want to get a mobile? Trivial, exactly the same game. Yeah. So Baldur's Gate on the iPad, mm-hmm. where I go, it's ten dollars. It's fourteen ninety nine if you want yeah. to get it on the PC. Yeah. So I've been doing that. Um, I like the fact that we're uh, doing remakes now, where we do things like the 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 twentieth anniversary of a game. Mm. Twenty, like that that exists and is a thing. I think awesome. Yeah, it, it, I, you never would have thought 
I feel like a lot of this stuff, especially 20 years ago, like when, you know, people are able to have the conversation now about gaming's place alongside movies and music and all this other stuff. Back then, if you tried to have that conversation, people were like, stop, kid, you're crazy. Like these are toys for kids. That's well, why we're that's why we hate Night Trap so much, because these are toys for kids. Yeah. And we, we, Night Trap is out this week. 25th anniversary edition of fucking Night Trap. And I, it's a it's not a good it's not a good port of that game. But the video quality is higher than it was on Sega CD, so I'm I'm if, okay with it. If entertainment was the um, role-playing game hierarchy, then um, uh, computer games would be LARP. <laughs> sure. It'd be, it'd be it's got its own pyramid. Um, I'll tell you a game I did pick up, which I've enjoyed. I picked up Diablo 3 on console. The new yeah. One. Yeah. And um, it feels like I've joined a the third season of a TV show. As in the first season, they weren't too sure what they were doing. Right. The second season, the writing got better. They sort of figured out. But by the third season... They're in high gear. They, were, they absolutely knew where they were going. Yeah. And so um, I actually jumped over all of it until just now. And I played yeah. it on console, not PC. Mm-hmm. And I was really like... I was flummoxed by things like you can roll around. Right. Uh, and yeah. you, you can play on two controllers. Mm-hmm. And I was going, actually, I know I'm super late. But think about, you know, just where we are as an industry that Blizzard not only shipped it, but they held the course yeah, and kept on it and just kept hammering on it. And now that it works great, I fully expect them to announce Diablo 4. Definitely. Yeah. It, that works. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they got there and clearly we should yeah. make another one. I, I mean, like the, that console version of Diablo feels to me like the natural evolution of something like Gauntlet. Yes, that, I know that's you know, very good. Right? Where, where, but you know they've added the RPG elements and stuff like that. But because with the, like the direct control of the character over the kind of clicky nature yeah. of of the PC game, gives it that feel of like okay, well now especially like in a co op setting or something yeah. like that, where you're like now we're going around these dungeons doing stuff and and it's a we're having a, a great time and and the, I thought it was interesting like they added that role and never put it into the PC version. It was something that they were like, well, this is something we have to do for console because you need to be able to position the character, like, you know, to, in order to have the right level of control over the character, we need to do this. And we're not doing it for PC because they've got a mouse. It's a different situation. Uh, but to have that, that piece of clarity, the other thing I noticed about Diablo, which um, hadn't really dawned on me until it was just rolling out, is a lot of people who worked on it have moved on. Yeah. But the game is still live. Mm-hmm. And so this is rather unusual. Is we're going to start getting uh, retrospectives. And views about games, yeah. When the game is still available, right? Uh, you we, saw we, some of that with, with like World of Warcraft or something. Yeah, like that, we, you know? which but, we've not really been able to do yeah. for the longest time. And so this idea that you can talk about where you were trying to go and then where it ended up and then where it is now and mm-hmm. then when or or I came in after it had been initially built, right? And then here's what I did to move the ball forward. And I think that's all really really interesting. I think it's gonna be a lot of good learning and insight Mm -hmm. that we can start picking up. What do you think about, there's been a push from a segment of the world of Warcraft fan base to want old servers like vanilla. Wow. Like 10 years, you know, however long ago, uh, like pre expansions, original. Wow. To get Uh, that experience back. Do you think that that's like an interest? Like I treat that like the, um, original cuts of star Wars. Sure. I think, I think think it comes from the same space. Mm -hmm. There are people who want, the original cut of Star Wars come hell or high water and nothing else will do. And any, any concession to anything other than the original cut is, is, is a travesty. Um, then they have, re- they have then um, reasonings behind it. Not only do they want the original cut, but they want it to have the same restoration uh, joy and love applied to it right. as, as applied before. 
And so just the right level of modernization, just the right level. And, and it leads to some clean up Sergeant Pepper, but not, yeah, yes. don't, but don't make it stereo. Don't like, make it yeah. stereo. Yeah. So, and I think that it's, I think it's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very normal thing. And it's a very emotional thing. And I believe, um, as the companies look at it from a commercial legal point of view mm-hmm. and they get comfortable, I don't think they'll care. Right. Um, the more I look at it, the more I go, you know what? If there was a magic wand, Blizzard would have liked nothing better than for people to host their own local servers with their own local server rules. Sure. If they could have made the same amount of money. Yes. If they yeah. had the same amount of control. It's just that they couldn't. Right. So they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're big commercial companies. So uh, will Disney ever bring out um, a cut of the original Star Wars movies? Yeah, I think they will. Yeah, um, they'll find, they'll, they'll, they'll figure find out. It. They'll figure out a way. I feel it, like yeah. that there's probably someone staring at a chart that updates yeah. in real time, and when a certain line crosses a certain line what's on the, profitability or whatever, they're like, okay, we or, can... You know, what's the cholesterol level of George Lucas? Sure, sure, sure. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then it asks a really interesting question, which is, um, you know, I, I actually don't mind some of the improvements mm-hmm. in the Star Wars movies, for instance. I think the Millennium Falcon blasting out of Mos Eisley is a better scene than the original. I think the Sandcrawler going over the dunes is a better scene than the original. I think loads of the bloopers and errors mm. that they cleaned up, like all the telegraph poles and that is a bit better. Um, and then there's stuff I just desperately want removed sure, um, because it just looks absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the original rotoscoped lightsabers are awful. Yeah. If you, if you can clean that up. And so it leads to this bit of, well, where does it, where does it end? So what I think, I think everyone who loves wow, who wants a vanilla server is a, absolutely right to ask for it just like everyone who wants original cut star wars yeah and ultimately it will happen right um it'll either happen unofficially what's already that's that's or or it's going to happen officially it's a little bit different for the computer games because they need to think about their copyright and the legality and and the rest of it but no Mm -hmm. that's that's what i think about that um i love the rise in player voice yeah uh on gaming i think that that's really really important um like anything new we're often it's often bad Sure. And childish Mm -hmm. and misdirected and crazy. But it is nice that players can have a voice through the social medias and the input and the way they're doing. I think that's been really good. I think it's, you know, yeah, it's, there's also, and, and of course it's this way because they shouldn't have to know, but I think you have a lot of, a lot of that voice will be. You know, there's not a lot of understanding into why a decision gets made or, or they're kind of lashing out of the thing in a way that you know there was a there was an element of players out there that were like man remember we can just put a cartridge in and the game worked <laughs> and like yes i yes as a matter of fact i do also they cost the equivalent of 270 dollars today yeah per cartridge and and they were made in a much they were much smaller things and they were tiny and and now you have these grand sweeping things much more complicated pieces of technology and you know like hey sometimes games are going to break like people should ship functional games they shouldn't ship broken games but i also understand sometimes some stuff slips through the cracks well and i think and so how do you find that line and and so you have a lot of people that are like you know very much like i don't want a season pass this this dlc was on the disc ahead of time which is really a case of some people in some cases not understanding how teams work and, and how they can keep working on one aspect of the game while they're fixing bugs. And it's, it's complicated. And so you have a lot of people shouting about a thing that there's a very logical explanation for, 
but they're not exposed to any of the vagaries of game development. So they're not going to know that. And they shouldn't have to know and they shouldn't have to care, but they are still complaining about this one thing. And I think that that's, we have to solve that. Like, is it, is it, making people understand really how games are made. I don't, I don't no, know that they, I don't, think it, I don't think they want to. I think it's a big mainstream thing. You're never going to get that many people to, to get it. I think there are a couple, a couple of things that need to come out and hopefully we got to a better place. So I think that the computer game media for a while was appalling. Sure. And wasn't doing its job. Uh, and they, they weren't being critical and they also weren't being um, forceful and they weren't, they weren't directing the, on the whole to the conversation that plays mm-hmm. out. And they had a stranglehold over it because they were dealing with a dying industry. Uh, but they're but all dead now. So the ones that have stood tall, the ones that are still going, yours is a great example, um, you found that, that your voice does work, that it does have an audience, that it does have a legitimacy. So I think we're going to see the rise of the, the solid... Um, Rolling Stone magazine, great example. Mm. You know, it used to be the de facto magazine, but it went through a period where it couldn't say a good thing about Led Zeppelin. Right, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it used to blackball entire bands, and then all of a sudden, it disappears off the newsstand. Looks like it's going to die, and it's been completely reborn as its sort of digital uh, work. And, and why is it working? Because it's managed to maintain relevancy, and it has people writing articles that are astounding, uh, and it's doing the right thing for its medium. So I think the grown-up media that survived, yours being one, um, it, it, well, you've got a duty to help them understand. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. Why should you have to give a game a pass just because, you know, the route to success is incredibly hard? Right. Yeah. It, it is fun. It is, it is imagine you, you, what we've been doing on tanks is we talk to the influencers and um, the, the video people, mm-hmm. and we now have off the record NDA conversations right. with people who aren't trained journalists. Mm-hmm. They're video bloggers. And we just say to them, look, let us explain to you why we're doing what we're doing and the limitations of what we're doing. And we then have to take it on faith that they won't then just use that information and weaponize it in a way that, that's right. terrible. And, and, and some do, some don't. That's, yeah. that's been, a, I think, growing pains for that aspect. I mean, that, yeah. the, the, the video bloggers, the YouTube community, the yeah. Twitch streamers and stuff like that, like that's the thing that is doing to traditional online mm-hmm. game journalism what online game journalism did it's to print. print media. Absolutely. And, and watching it happen. I'm of two minds about it. One, because I, I think that there's like, there are issues. It's so nascent in a lot of ways yeah. where a lot of those people that are, you know, happy to wear the tag influencer don't take their influence seriously enough. And, or, or, you know, are, are willing to do a lot of brand deals that are then not disclosed in a proper way. And well, I think there's, there are not, weird things around. They're them. not journalists. Exactly. That they're just people yeah. and they happen to have a video camera and they've got subscribers. And so people don't understand things like how much money they're making. Right. They, they don't understand that when they're on their Twitch channel and they're contributing a buck and then their name flashes up in lights, they go, well done. That person might be making tens of thousands of dollars that month. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a fraud. It's a facade. It's not true. Uh, they also don't understand that these people have never been trained in how to do their business. Right. So for them accepting, um, uh, goods and services, uh, and then talking about it, mm-hmm. they're not even aware that that's, that that's, a, that that's a problem. That's an exactly. ethical conundrum. And we saw that with fan sites and smaller websites around yeah. us in the in the nineties and two thousands, where you had you know people starting up sites that would be easily pushed around by companies. I remember hearing, you know, like some small site two thousand two thousand one, whatever it was, you know, writing a review of a video card, 
and saying, this video card's bad, you shouldn't buy it. And then having the PR person for that video card who sent them to that outlet for free, that guy in his, in his apartment for free, say, like, I'm never working with you again. I'm calling everyone I know and making sure that no one ever sends you anything for free again. Yeah. And if you have people that are in it for the free stuff. Well, and so I, I take heart from it because I, I watch my children and how they interact with them. Interact, and here's what I think is actually happening. Um, I don't think the bloggers are a go-to source of review. I think they're an entertainment channel. It's TV. Yeah. It's their modern TV. So they they treat uh, the feedback they get uh, through that sort of TV filter. Mm-hmm. They don't treat it as the, the main decision maker. And what's really interesting is I ask them how they decide to play a game. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, I mean, my boy's 19, uh, it's verbal recommendation of things like discourse. Right. Uh, Discord. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Discourse. <laughs> different Discord. thing. Different, yeah. different thing. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's heartening because it's exactly how it used to be. Right. When I was in the playground yeah. and we were talking about the uh, Amiga and the Commodore 64, mm-hmm. and what, what games you wanted, it was what could you get your hands on and what did someone recommend? Right. And, and that was good. And then the magazines came out merely to legitimize. Um, but that's always things what powers I've always had with you because I was trying to explain what you were like to my European people. Mm-hmm. And I said that you're like a, in, in rock and roll terms, you're an old bluesman now. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, I you, don't know, know. you did the original chords that everyone then stole. And, <laughs> and, and then now you need to be like in, you know, everyone should record one album with you. You should, you should be on what, what should be one track on, on the album. Should, and then take me out head. back and put a bullet in my head. No, no, no. <laughs> it, Cause it's, it's like, it's, it's, you represent the sort of like the, the, the imagery of where, where it came from and what it means. And the fact that you're still here and still relevant and still working hard with, with, with the crazy checkered history that comes with all that yeah, uh, is, is nothing more than a testament that um, we're the generation that proved it was a career. Right. Like uh, you, you've, you're, you're, you've done it. And it's, it's the, <laughs> the scary thing sometimes is that there's no blueprint left. It used to feel like when, when yeah. there were, there were people who came before me, there were, you know, uh, and there still are, you know, like Andy McNamara is still running game informer. Yeah. And so I'm not the longest running, <laughs> uh, and it used to be Andy Eddie. You used to look at, look at Andy Eddie, yeah. who, you know, was at VGNC. He's, he's at Sony now, but he's not, he's at Sony now, you know, he's not in, in this. Yeah. And, and so. No, you're up for your lifetime achievement award. I think that's got to <laughs> yeah, be coming right. soon. Sure. It's a, that, again, a gold watch. Take me out back. Put a bullet in my. Well, and, and uh, so, but but here we are doing a, a podcast. It's lovely, and we're talking. We're rambling. We're all over the place. And then for me, after making all sorts of different games, mm-hmm. some of which were good, some of which were bad, some yeah. of which I'm proud of, some which I don't want to talk about. Um, where where am I now? Um, I'm working on a game that I love playing. Right. And I'm working with a team that I love working with, and I'm meeting players who I identify with. Yeah. And so it's this weirdness of going all the way there. And I've ended up thinking to myself, going with this, so therefore, what's my advice? And I've ended up with the same advice I gave the young designers when I gave them a talk, which mm. is, uh, my advice is, if you can work on a game you like, with people you like, that's got revenue. Sure, yeah. You should do that every single time. <laughs> That should be your goal. Yeah. And that's why I wouldn't move to a 400-person team to go work on something with Grandma. I go, no, no, no. I don't know what that game's going to be. No, work on a game you love with people you like that's got revenue. And if you do that, mm-hmm. you can ment- – well, that you can spend all my time listening to Giant Bomb. Well, that's that's a terrible uh, – yeah, but that's – I think that's that's the reason – I think that's something that applies to kind of how – what my path through this stuff was too is, you know, like – 
I was at GameSpot for 11 years and we spent that decade building what at the time was the biggest single outlet for video game information in the world yeah. uh, at, at the time. And, and, you know, we, we did establish a lot of trends. We, you know, like we weren't thinking of that at the time. We were just saying, Hey, let's take this seriously. That was literally like the, the guiding principle was like, uh, we should take this seriously because 50, $60 is a lot of money. And that was it. Uh, and starting giant bomb now, nine years ago, uh, was the thing of like, okay, we spent a lot of years doing it, l- learning the ropes, and now we know which ones to break. Yeah, uh, as we rebuild it, uh, as, as you know, what, what's the the thing from now? And and now I see like the people out there that are just full video; they don't even have their own website, all this other stuff, and go like, yeah, totally. Like I look at it and go like, that's if I was starting over tomorrow, which hey, you never know how this business is going to go. Like you look at that stuff and go like, okay, there's, there's starting to be a roadmap forming for what's yeah. next after the, let's have a website phase of this stuff. Oh. And, and I think some, some of those people that, that has to shake out. And I think it is still a messy world and there are parts of it that really rub me the wrong way because I, because again, I think that they're, it, it's, it's heartening to hear that people are still using verbal recommendation. I think that's still the most powerful oh, yeah, and useful we, thing. Absolutely. And, and also, like I said to you, I'm going to Gamescon. I had, um, uh, people contacting me wanting to do interviews because I do giant bomb pass every now and then. So you're still having an influence on it. You're, you're, it, it, you won't know the guy, the guy called John Peel in Britain, who's a DJ. Yeah. I, I uh, feel like I've heard. Uh, and he, spent, do, do, do people do It's like the Peel sessions Peel and stuff sessions, like that. Right. right. Okay. So yeah. He was this guy yeah. who worked at the BBC, but just decided he was going to find bands who weren't famous mm-hmm. and bring them in and get them to record. Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, after the time you finish, you had this huge backlog of bands, some of, a lot of which went nowhere. Right. But some went somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, he was beloved be- because he spoke about the game. It was about music and he spoke about what he loved and he spoke about what he cared about. So I think that authenticity uh, that you can keep, that's how you get the recommendation. So you become a verbal recommendation. Uh, but no, it's good. For all, the t- for all the things that have changed, for all the roads we've walked, for the times mm-hmm. where we've been in good hotels and bad hotels. Very bad hotels. Where we've had good food and bad food. Where you, you know, you've graciously had me on here when I've worked on a game that uh, hasn't made me particularly happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the times when we can come on and talk about industry, it's been really, really good. Really appreciate it. I will yeah. be back again, um, but probably not for months. Yeah. Maybe. But that's how it goes now. You're yeah. off You're off in the other part of the world. Hotbed of news lately, huh? It's Russia thing, right? I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Thanks for coming by, Paul. (laughs) Russians are wonderful. I have a good time with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks again for coming through. Pleasure. And uh, World of Tanks is, I was going to say World of Tanks is in stores now, but it's definitely not in stores now. No, it's It's, not in stores It's everywhere. And it's an old man shooter. Don't come unless you want to play an old man shooter. Okay. I'm I'm not willing to accept that I'm an old man just yet. Absolutely. Not for me. It's not for everyone. All right. But uh, if you do like it, you're coming in. All right. Excellent.